Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Through the Keyhole, the podcast that you're listening to, that I am talking on. We are back, and this is the first time I've hosted one in so many months. I am Brady Trantham. On the left side of me, which doesn't matter anything to the listener, is Matt Burton. To the caddy corner of me is Mr. Peyton Guthrie. And then right below me is Alan Kenny. So, Alan, I'm sorry. I Sorry that I'm kind of heavy, but I'll uh, <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to make things a little comfortable for you. But, but we've got a fun fun show today, and I guess I need to say this because Peyton rebranded the show after I left. But it's an Oklahoma Sooner fan podcast. Boom boom boom. Did I do it right? Did I do it right, Peyton? That's correct. And then we only branded that way because I think once you left, Alan and I had a couple of podcasts, and then like I was called like an insider, and then called an idiot. <laughs> so very oh, was quickly, the, was I was it? like, I'm literally. <laughs> And having was that fun the, talking was, about this stuff. Was that the recruiting the, thing where you it was uh, a Jackson you, Arnold thing where yeah. he was playing footsie of AM over Twitter? Oh boy. <laughs> well, I mean, you could be an insider from Durant. That's okay. Mm, yeah. We've we've got we've got I mean, people with connections, loose connections, making just brash claims because the champ you barbecue just happened so things have to happen why aren't there so many why aren't there more commitments everyone's losing their minds but we'll get to that in just a split second uh peyton you abandoned us you um you went clout chasing with red dirt sport our good friend on a wednesday when the schedule was released and had a uh, twitter space on there where you allowed me to a- ask you guys a question i appreciate that um seemed like it had some success but want to get your thoughts uh, at least or through the keyholes purposes on OU's 2024 schedule um, in the SEC. And then um, after that, you know, the four of us will have like our own little narratives that we're going to going to be following uh, for the 2024 season, at least as it stands right now. So Peyton, you see the logos, you see the helmets next to OU's names, who's come to Norman, where's OU going in 2024. What are your initial reactions? And now that you've had a few days to marinate on it, what are you thinking? Well, I, I do want to clarify that Red Dirt Sports did reach out to me to do a, a co-branded space that quickly became a keyhole space for branding, marketing purposes uh, <laughs> with Red Dirt on as a guest. So I will say that that was a chance to try to grow the brand. So thank you very much uh, for the very slight hazing. Uh, I think just the initial the initial shock factor of it was looking at, um, looking at OU and looking at the draw that it really had. I mean, OU was, in my opinion, 
is taking on more quote unquote helmet schools than um than some of the other ones and, and just in my personal opinion uh i think that's probably good if you're a tv exec and you're kind of thinking who should be good and where things are going you want to see alabama nor uh alabama ou you want to see lsu ou you want to see tennessee ou there's a lot of like natural uh, storylines there even south carolina Oklahoma, there's a lot of like natural storylines there that kind of seems to work for TV at that point in time. Uh, that was just kind of my initial thing of saying like, man, there's some heavy lifting to be had here. But if OU can really kind of squeeze by the top three of that schedule, you know, making sure you can get past, uh, you know, Texas is always going to be a te- the Texas game in Alabama. Who knows where LSU is going to be? It's an extremely volatile program. <laughs> it's either a national championship or it's going to win seven games, eight games. I mean, there, there's a chance it can fly up and down. Uh, and then it's kind of filled up with some nice, solid teams kind of coming in and out. And we still don't even know if what Tennessee is going to be like. I mean, did they just capture lightning in a bottle this past year? Have a quarterback that just caught completely on fire um, and was able just to bomb everyone down the field and kind of overcome that bad defense. But if the defense doesn't shore itself up, who knows what's going to happen in you know two years? Now that I've thought about it. The biggest thing I can think of, especially from that Twitter space, was there's just so many OU fans who are kind of already thinking, hey, is OU a dark horse? Can OU make some moves? Can OU be this smaller team that punches above its weight class and stuff? And I guess it maybe it is just to the credit of ESPN as, you know, former Big 12 fans, now SEC fans, you know, really talked about the dominance of the SEC when it's really the dominance of Alabama, then sprinkling one or two other teams. It's kind of got a decent amount of OU fans kind of shook to a certain degree of thinking, oh, man, now we're walking into this league and we're going to kind of get punched around a little bit. Um, I just don't think that's going to be truly the case. I know Alan and I have spoke about this many a time. OU should be winning a lot of ball games. <laughs> it's going to be a good football program for, for the most part, uh, unless they have some down years. But other than that, they should be a team that these other teams should think, Oh, shit, Oklahoma's coming to town. <laughs> Not the other way around. I mean, for some reason, it does seem like there's a decent amount of fans who are, like, shaking in their boots about playing Kentucky. Uh, you know, it, it just seems kind of strange, in my opinion. I think maybe that's the longer-lasting term, is just getting used to these names and um, realizing they're just football teams. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, I mean, I think we, um, Matt and Alan and I, kind of were in agreement with that thought process as well just because like yeah like it's pretty jarring to see Alabama LSU Ole Miss Auburn and a lot of those road environments from classic games over the last handful of years that we remember and knowing that instead of going to Ames or um, Lubbock Texas OU was going to these places and it's like we just we, we just went six and seven I have no idea how that's going to go but it's OU and I mean Alan I'll let you jump on in this one because I mean essentially we all know what OU is. They're a blue blood for a reason. They've wanted a high clip for a long time for a reason. And uh, the transition period, which is no doubt taking place right now, will continue to take place as we move into the SEC next year. I mean, it's it's not something OU has never seen before. It's not something, and it's certainly not something that they can't overcome. Oh, no, no, certainly. But, you know, the places that OU will be going, you know, there's no more Ames or Lubbock on the schedule. Uh, instead, you know, you're getting Baton Rouge. You're getting a place like Jordan Hare Stadium, which is, uh, I, I believe I'm supposed to pronounce that Jordan Hare, something like that anyway. Uh, but I mean, Auburn has historically been a chaos agent uh, on its home field. You know, I mean, those are the kinds of things that I'll be watching because, you know, OU is no longer uh, necessarily the heavyweight of the conference. It's still a really good program, right? But, you know, 
I think that uh, you know, getting used to going on the road and playing in those kinds of environments, um, that's just something that, that you haven't necessarily had in the Big 12, which isn't to say there aren't tough places to play in the Big 12 or coaching staffs that just, you know, scare the shit out of you every week. But I mean, at the same time, it's it's really not the same as, you know, Tiger Stadium at night, that kind of thing. I do want to jump in real fast and there's there's a very, very sick, perverse section of OU fandom who are just clamoring to play Arkansas for some strange reason. <laughs> just like biting, like, you know, at the ch- champing at the bits, which is the correct way of saying that term, to play <laughs> Arkansas. It's like blows my mind. To me, Arkansas should be wanting to play OU. You know, it should be that yeah. direction. But it is a very... Maybe it's just like a very strange vacuum to fill now that Bedlam's gone and everyone's like, we just need this weird step-headed, you know, a red-headed stepchild to beat up on or something like that and fill that gap as quickly as possible. Maybe that's the direction, but, you know, playing Arkansas and A&M and those fan bases, I, I, I'm not too terribly enthused about that perspective of the SEC. Yeah, I mean, I can count on two hands how many times we've played Tulsa in the last two decades and that's enough that's close enough if you want to play Arkansas <laughs> you know just play Tulsa and just call it good I mean that's the way I see it Matt I'm going to ask you a rapid fire question real quick before we get into our uh kind of our own individual SEC narratives for 2024 um who is going to be OU's Kansas State in the uh, SEC and the criteria being um lesser program that just for some reason ah, they're just a thorn in our side man that's a very good question. Part of me, if you say I'm Vanderbilt, thinking, if you say Vanderbilt, get off this call. No, 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 no. I'm saying Kentucky. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, weirdly, could you guys see Mississippi State? Because the Kansas cow, State because Kansas State. Yes, yes. I think Kansas State sometimes is, it just feels like a boring game, right? They're not like that flashy. They're just going to come in and beat you up, and if you're not ready for it, like you hasn't hasn't been. Uh, lately, they'll you know they'll put a beat down on you. And they'll win. They'll get a win wherever they are in Manhattan or down in Norman. Um, I feel like Mississippi State could be that team, just because they've I, they feel like the easiest to like overlook. To where you know they're still going to have talent. Like Mississippi State, like all these SEC teams are going to have talent. So it's not going to be like that big of a talent issue. It's just more of like if I could see OU overlooking overlooking a team like Mississippi state. Fair enough. I mean, it's going to be somebody, I mean, the problem is just going to be like, where, where are we in the pecking order? But so much can still change. I mean, OU frankly needs to win games in 23 um, to have the momentum on the field and then off the field with recruiting. We will get to the champion barbecue and some notes and tidbits we've been hearing a little bit later in the show. Um, they need to do all that in order to get uh, their foot rolling for 2024 uh, but uh, Peyton, I wanted to uh, kind of introduce this topic of what are some fun narratives for this 2024 schedule in terms of connections uh, with the program, uh, in terms of the history. I mean, there's a fun history between OU and Alabama that goes back to, I believe, the uh, maybe the 70s, I think. Uh, most of these games have been in, in Orange Bowls. They played in the Blue Bonnet Bowl at one point, but just whatever kind of comes to mind with some of these uh, new opponents on this schedule, Peyton, I'll start with you. What what are you kind of thinking about with this SEC schedule in 24? Well, the main the main thing I'm thinking about is just the overall uh, holistic 
uh, if you use the corporate terms, uh, transfer from OU moving into the SEC and what that transfer looks like in regards to how it performs early on. Uh, you know, just for OU fans, you know, we've got Colorado, Nebraska, Missouri, Texas A&M, uh, you know, all very close to us who moved on to different conferences and had various levels of success and really trying to break down how those teams performed within the three years of joining that conference versus the three years prior to that conference to see if what sort of trend lines may have stayed the same. Did someone peak and, you know, or did someone hit the Valley kind of hard, obviously Nebraska, Colorado, Missouri, all three of those teams have kind of had somewhat of a peak in some way, shape or form. Uh, and then uh, valleyed off uh, fairly, fairly quickly. I mean, just looking at Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska is actually, the same. They won 17 games as a the first three years in the Big Ten. They had won 17 games the first, the last three years of the Big 12. They stayed exactly the same there. Uh, Colorado has eight wins in the first three years in the pack. They had 13 wins uh, the three years prior in the Big 12. Now the SEC teams, this is where it changes uh, pretty drastically. Uh, Missouri wins has 28 wins in the first three years. They actually had 26 wins the three years prior. Uh, A&M kind of similar 28 wins early on and then 22 wins a year, the three years prior. I think the issue with those, these four collectives of teams, and this may not be a good sign for Oklahoma is that Colorado moved to a league, the PAC 12, which was more of a passing league. I mean, as the big, as the big 12 was at that time, Nebraska was struck was more of this running establishing, you know, establishing the run type of a team. It moves to the big 10, which was a running football league at that point in time. And they don't have this immediate success as two spread teams moving into a, a football conference that played a more, you know, pound the rock, tough defense. And so they're kind of like, you know, blitzkrieg this new league. Oklahoma, with the Bear Raid, is moving into a league in which knows how to defend this. Ole Miss plays it. Uh, Arkansas plays it. Um, you know, Alabama plays a, a version of it with the RPO. Everyone is moving into this style of, of offense to a certain degree. OU's not going to be able to, you know, kind of sucker punch or, you know, maybe kind of be like a Southpaw type of a, a program early on in this new league where the league's going to have to adjust itself to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's kind of walking into a league which kind of knows how these games are already played to a certain degree. So that will be interesting to me to see if OU's able to kind of maybe shuck off the Colorado-Nebraska stumblings into a new league and how much they can replicate the Missouri A&M, hopefully with more sustained success. Yeah, and I mean, kind of to that point, Peyton, there's just going to be a lot of bleed over in terms of every player in that con- in the SEC. I mean, this staff, Texas staff, have evaluated and tried to recruit a, a good portion of them coming out of high school. So there's going to be so much familiarity that maybe A&M and Missouri just did not, or the SEC didn't have with A&M and Missouri as they came into the conference, and that kind of played into their hand a little bit. But um, you know, it's just going to be something that an uphill battle that OU will no doubt have to climb. Um, Alan, what, what are you thinking for 24? Yeah, I'm actually really interested to see, you know, kind of how the fans, you know, pick up to, you know, pick up on traveling. You know, I, I, I may, I, that's kind of a theme for me here so far, but no, again, like one thing that's going to be very different for uh, OU fans is, you know, again, the destinations. I mean, you know, a trip to Lubbock again, I mean, some people have probably done that once, maybe I don't know, you know, and that was enough. But these are all new places. Like how how hyper fans going to be to get out and see the Grove, um, you know, or go to go to LSU. I mean, and, and what's that experience going to be like? And you know, 
a lot of talk about tailgating uh, lately from both the OU administration, Brent Venables, and of course fans. Um, are, they, are what kind of secrets maybe are they going to take away from that, or uh, what what's the what's the vibe going to be like? What are they going to bring back from uh, from the road trips? Yeah, and e- even though it's a different sport, um, the thing that's really kind of kind of in the back of my mind, um, the College World Series where OU brought, and you know, hand up, I didn't go. So, I mean, I, I don't mean to dog everybody because I know we all have plans and we're certainly not a baseball school. And so making these plans were probably like, oh, OU's going to the World Series. That's that's cool. I did not plan for this. Mm. Um, but I'm sure Ole Miss didn't think so either because if I remember correctly, Ole Miss barely made the regional or super regional last year. And so they kind of had a little bit of like, oh my God, we're here. But they brought the entire half state of Mississippi and OU just brought like two to 500 people. I mean, that's just going to be football, like on a larger level. There's going to be no school maybe outside of Vanderbilt that doesn't that brings like the same type of the same amount of fans that a um, Baylor, Texas Tech, uh, Iowa State. I mean, Iowa State travels fairly well, but yeah, it's 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 a different ball game. So OU fans have to show out if they want to have some type of, you know, just some type of presence in this new region that they're playing football in. Peyton? I do. I do want to say, you know, you know, Alan uses tech as as the example, you know, Lubbock being kind of like the outpost of the Big 12, especially on the west side. That's still on, only 350 miles away from Norman. Uh, the away games Norman uh, OU has to play this year averages, I think, 611 miles. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a yeah. massive difference, almost double the amount of mileage from what we're used to seeing is like the furthest drive. I guess Iowa State's probably further, but you know, everyone says Lubbock's just out there, out there. So it's it, it's it's a ways away for any game, period. Yeah. Mr. Burton, what are you thinking for twenty four? And I went on a non OU thing because I think you guys covered it very well. Didn't feel like there was much I really needed to add. You guys covered it really well. I wanted to talk about. Uh, the hottest coaches in the SEC. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I just Eli Drinkwitz. Right, Eli Drinkwitz. Man, can't get enough of that guy. Um, but no, I, I just wanted to talk about the sneaky, like, uh, the, what's that saying? God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. Uh, that's I, that's exactly what happened in 2024 to Bama and Georgia. Like, they, dude, their schedules are insane, but. I'm not sitting here feeling bad for Georgia. I'm not sitting here feeling bad for Alabama. Uh, that's when they get whenever they only play each other in the regular season, like once every 10 years, it feels like. This is what you get. Yeah. You got to go, go to mm. like Georgia getting to go, has to go to Alabama, to Texas. Uh, they also play Clemson early in like the first game of the year. Uh, that's going to be a tough one. Bama has to go to OU, uh, to Tennessee, to LSU. Like, and then obviously they get Georgia at home. They're going to Wisconsin that year too. Like, I mean, that that's going to be, it's going to be a grind. Like Bama and Georgia, if like whoever makes it out of that, because I mean, one, if not both of them are going to make it into the 12 team playoff uh, as like just projecting a little bit here. I think that I'm going out on a limb and saying that Georgia and Bama, the teams with the two most talent uh, year in, year out are going to make the playoff. Um but man, they're really going to earn it. Like they're going to absolutely earn it that year. And I'm looking forward to it. And again, I'm not feeling sorry for them. This is just what happens when you used to be able to only play each other once every 10 years. Like it's just awful. This is what you get. It's karma. Yeah. Well, what was the last time Georgia went to Tuscaloosa? 
Was that like Matt Stafford, Georgia? Probably. It would have been like 2009, probably, something in there. So Matt Stafford had just been drafted. Good God. <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah. No, it's, it's just going to be interesting. I mean, because I mean, people are already kind of talking about like this eight-game crap isn't going to continue much further past 24, so we'll see if it even goes into 25. But, I mean, it's 16 teams. At some point, you're just going to get to this – kind of this level of, yeah, we're in the same conference as this team, but we haven't seen them in four years, so I'm whatever. I mean, it might be like Arkansas because they sure as hell aren't going to a conference title game anytime soon. But um, I would say that the thing that I'm looking forward to the most outside of just the the obvious, like it's going to be cool to see Alabama come to town. It'll be cool to have the opportunity to go to Baton Rouge or the Grove and Ole Miss. Um, would just be Heifel coming back home. Because that that needs to change. That needs that bridge needs to be repaired one hundred percent. I would not be shocked if OU just throws everything out. Um, two thousand highlights, um, old two thousand um, players all over the field. His teammates. I mean, I mean, Teddy Lehman has at least gone on the record to say that Heupel is like always in touch with that team still. So he still has connections with the, his old teammates. Um, I just. I just want Josh to be to to just know that he still has a home in Norman because he's having his success right now. 2014 was ugly for everybody. And as time went on, it really seemed like um, either the wrong decision was made or 100% of the problem was not um, addressed uh, following the 2014 season. We don't need to get into that because we know what I'm referring to, but um, with Heupel, I, I just want him, I just want that to be back to normal. And whenever Josh's coaching career is done, you know, he, he'll still be a sooner. He's a sooner to me. Um, I'm glad that he's having success at Tennessee. He's had success at UCF. He had success at Mizzou as the offensive coordinator. It just did not work out at all. Um, at least in 2014. And there, there are a lot of reasons for that. And it wasn't just Josh. So that that bridge needs to be repaired because um, I I am kind of irked seeing I mean just I think I put it in the Monday post um, this past week where I think last year going into the uh, um, in the summer like Josh Heupel kind of dig at Bob Stoops and it's like I get it I dig Bob I make digs at Bob Stoops all the time but um, it's just a little awkward at this point but I mean anybody else have any Josh Heupel thoughts or is that just or is that something that you think that fans won't care about. Cause I can just kind of see, cause it won't be hard to spot Josh Heupel running onto the field with Tennessee, no offense, but when, when he does run out into the field, I can just see the entire stadium cheering, standing and roaring. Cause yeah, he yeah, deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we're actually going to see Brady is that, you know, my, my impression is that a lot of the bad blood runs um, from Heupel to OU as opposed to the other way, if that makes sense. So, you know, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I hope it's, I hope it's uh, I, I hope it's purely fan driven at this point in time. Now, there's going to be a probably a little video package, and and that's it. I, I hope that's as far as OU goes uh, from from that perspective. Just for me, I, I think Red Dirt even mentioned on on the um, Twitter space. I think the big move you do is for uh, the 25 season, so you get 25 year anniversary of the championship season. The new big thing. Josh obviously wouldn't be there because he'll be coaching a game or something. But then you do it; it's a big thing. You celebrate the whole thing. You're not pointing out because you're pointing out Josh. You're basically saying we're sorry for firing you so poorly. I mean, that's basically it. So I mean, you've got to 
you do behind the closed door thing. Fans take your hat off, you know, point to the sky, do the points, all that stuff, and then leave it at that. Uh, OU rolling out the red carpet, I think, would just be too much for a single person um, uh, beyond without the rest of the team, in my opinion. And I think uh, it, it would be helpful, at least for all this to kind of go down if Josh is elected to the College Football Hall of Fame, because that would then, in theory, put him in the same room as Bob Stoops. And if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And if I'm Josh Heupel, like I would probably be upset too, because that really hurt his career and could have potentially derailed it. But that's the risk that you take when you, when you have your first big um, job, like the, like an offensive coordinator in D one football, be at the university of Oklahoma. Typically you go off to Missouri first or Utah state first, and then go back to your alma mater, or then you take that next big step at a place like OU. And it didn't work out that way. And he got thrown under the bus for some of it his being his problem, but certainly not all of it as kind of history has shown. But um, that's just something I'm looking forward to. Everyone's looking forward to Alabama and the Tennessee game kind of got forgotten. I understand, but um, we'll see. Maybe Josh will still be there. Maybe he won't. Cause like Peyton said, did they just capture lightning in a bottle? But that's why football's fun. Um, we move on to current day because 24 is still a fake year, in my opinion. It does not uh, make sense to me. So let's talk about 23 right now in the summer. Champion Barbecue just went down. I was on campus yesterday. I went and had lunch at the library, and I saw three gigantic buses hauling a lot of tall human beings to the Noun Hotel, which is just kind of across the street from my office at OU. And I've heard... I'm sure you all have heard as well, like some, some pretty positive things. It seems like there was a lot of status quo in that the guys that are kind of leaning OU or that the experts have assumed will be going to OU when the time comes are still in that same boat. It doesn't seem like OU has really lost anybody um, that they were leading for after this weekend. I don't see how you uh, could um, only Texas can do something like that. Uh, but from what I've gathered, and I'll just kind of throw throw this all out there verbatim, and then um, Alan, I'll let you kind of give your thoughts on just. It's still funny they call it Champion Barbecue, I guess, but you know, shout nice. out Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, David Stone right now, the defensive tackle um, from IMG Academy, but from Dell City in Oklahoma City, <clears throat> is uh, taking his final official visit right now at Michigan State. Uh, but everyone still is under the assumption that he is going to uh, OU. Hopefully it's not the same assumption that people had uh, with David Hicks. We will find out. Um, Cade Durham is a player that not a lot of people assumed uh, would budge from LSU, but there is a lot of momentum for OU, uh, the running back out of uh, Texas uh, to be flipped from LSU to OU. We'll see how that kind of plays out. And uh, Dominic or Dominic McKinley, the defensive tackle out of Louisiana, yeah, a defensive tackle out of Louisiana. He's pretty much going to LSU, but now all of a sudden after Champion Barbecue Weekend, OU is a serious play- player per Josh McQuistion, at least from Sooner Scoop. Um, a lot of things to be excited for, Alan. Um, again, all this hypothetical stuff we're talking about with 24, OU has to win on the field in 23, but in order to really get the ball rolling for 24, they have to land some of these names, especially names against schools like LSU, who they're going to be uh, recruiting against every year now, not just every other year like they have been in the Big 12. Yeah, right. And, you know, defensive line is a 
obviously the area where I think that most OU fans would say they really need to get rolling. And so, you know, that's the, the pluses obviously come out this weekend are that it sounds like OU is, you know, gaining steam or, you know, holding steady with, um, you know, a lot of these kind of elite, elite targets, you know, McKinley is the big news in the sense that, I don't think in many people, I don't, I don't know how many people expected him a to be there in the first place and B that, Oh, you would really have much of a, uh, of a shot there. I, you know, I will believe it when I see it, you know, having, you know, kind of gone, seeing this kind of thing play out time and again, he's going to be around, you know, uh, LSU fans uh, for, you know, the next however many months until he commits, even if uh, OU is able maybe to uh, land, land a uh, verbal commitment from him, I'll believe it when I see uh, ink on the paper, so to speak, there. Um, as for, you know, as for the rest, though, uh, David Stone, that's obviously a big one. I mean, you know, great talent uh, and also, a you know, a local kid. I mean, it would just be it's just one of those things where from a, even just from a morale standpoint, you've and, you know, uh, the idea of having confidence in this staff, you've got to land him. Um, and then, you know, going the rest of them though, I mean, everything sounds pretty good, but it's kind of one of these things where, you know, with the way that OU, uh, kind of approaches recruiting with this staff, I guess it's not, um, unexpected that they wouldn't get a ton of commitments coming out of the, uh, out of the event, but it is the kind of thing where, you know, I think you look around at a lot of other schools and I mean, you know, what OU maybe was accustomed to also under Lincoln Riley was getting a lot of these uh, names, landing them early and then trying to hold on for dear life. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge and continue listening to this episode. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Great food, drinks, and atmosphere. Yeah, and it's certainly, that's, I mean, not to completely dog Lincoln Riley because OU oh, had success with him, um, at least on paper with recruiting. I mean, Alan, you, you laid it out in the blue chip ratio article how much uh, it didn't have success <laughs> in terms of that philosophy. But, you know, half more than half the battle is getting the kids on campus. Whether or not you can develop them is a completely other story. And hopefully Brent and the staff can certainly do that. But um, it's something that that is something that can have success. But I, I think you're right. I think this staff is more concerned with laying the foundation, building relationships and making such an impression that even if this isn't their final visit, they're still thinking about Norman and Champion Barbecue and OU when they go back home to Louisiana or um, they remember the connections that they made with this staff. Because again, the other, the other side of this is you're not just recruiting them to um, commit um, coming out of high school. If they don't get the playing time they were promised or if something doesn't work out with them, wherever they end up signing, they'll still remember Todd Bates. They'll still remember Brent Venables and the connections they made. So this is all very important. So um, we'll see. Hopefully OU is able to, uh, stick in the mind of a lot of these names and and certainly David Stone, certainly um, McKinley, like all these great defensive tackles. If they are, if they're wanting to have the success in the sec, that's the type of player they need to get. But Peyton, is there 
uh, anything else we may have missed or do you have any like, just overall thoughts on just recruiting, like the recruiting culture that is OU right now? I, I think it's just interesting of seeing this, the spectacle of all this stuff. I mean, I would have thought, to be honest with you, with the rise of NIL collectives and, you know, the outright just payment of these players to a certain degree of saying, hey, once you're on here, here's the deals you're going to get. You can just openly, you know, you can't obviously obviously pay to play, but, uh, you know, mo most states have done some sort of law where the NCAA, you know, according to state law, can't do anything. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. But I really thought maybe some of the spectacle of this would have just gone down to a certain degree. But now you're you're having dinner with the you know Toby Keith sports cars inside hangars of private jets, and it's like the spectacle is only getting more outrageous and more over the top, time and time again. And it just seems so interesting to me that I'm, I'm trying to figure out what this is for to a certain degree like what are these dinners for what are these things for because the things i'm hearing more and more and more out of these events is that you're seeing more parents talking about how oh you did a great job hosting the thing you know that just the how everything was run, ran was very strong and detailed and structured we knew where we were going everything everyone had time we all spoke to brand like all that type of stuff and now i'm thinking well is that the spectacle part? Is that more for the parent than the player at that point in time? Uh, or, or is there some sort of juxtaposition between those two things of saying mom and dad versus the player in who are we trying to shower with this over the top, you know, stuff because the player is going to get it. They, the player at a certain David Stone's going to get what he's going to get no matter where he goes. <laughs> that will be taken care of. But mom and dad being a chance to see that stuff and saying, oh, wow, this school really knows how to do this. I, I don't know if maybe that's where this is kind of leaning towards, because I really thought, honestly, that these teams would be almost more, quote unquote, professional at this point in time of saying, if you sign on the X, if you sign on the dotted line, you'll receive X <laughs> instead of being here's a bunch of private jets you'll never touch or a bunch of cars you'll never get to drive unless you make it to the NFL. And, you know, it, it just seems like a very strange connection there that I, I'm having honestly having trouble kind of figuring it out beyond just a spectacle of it what what's it all good for that said it seems like oh you did a really really good job because a lot of people are talking about it and there's a lot of hype coming out of this but for these summer events there's always a lot of hype coming out of them there's always a lot of people talking very 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 highly about what it is there's very rarely um I think maybe Ohio State had like a, a summer thing that went very poorly two years ago or something like that. I can't quite remember. And it just, things just usually don't happen poorly at these types of events, uh, you know, at least not publicly. So everyone being very happy about it, everyone speaking very highly of it is, is good news. You need to do that. That box does need to be checked. Uh, but until December, they're just check boxes <laughs> until people can start signing the line, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, it's it certainly, I mean, those are certainly things that, that were in my mind when I see videos that players have been sharing on social media from eating in an airplane hangar, um, all these elaborate photos they're taking uh, on the field. It's like, who who is this for? I guess it's for the kids. But at the same time, like you said, Peyton, a lot of the parents are the ones who are the most vocal about um, what a great time they've had. So I guess whatever works, but I mean, is everybody here at least familiar with the mom theory um, in yes. terms of recruiting? So I, I guess 
do anything to just like forget the mom. The mom will just, she's going to have to just say yes and smile. Just like, I guess Peyton Bowen's mom had to uh, respect to Peyton Bowen's mom. Um, Matt, any, any thoughts, anything you saw that we may have missed? Um, I mean, I mean, I'll just ask you like if the coleslaw was too watered down, would that ruin your recruiting weekend at Duke? Uh, it would, it would for sure. Um, if it was too watered down, there's, I mean, unless it was a sort of like a Charleston's, like a jalapeno coleslaw at Charleston's, uh, not an ad, not an ad. Um, I think but, this was a Hal Smith that. production, right? But it could be an ad. It could be an ad. It could be. Yeah. Your ad space here for some place downtown uh, that has jalapeno coleslaw. That's very good. Um, it's not that I... I mean, I obviously saw a bunch of pictures and everything. I, I like the picture of, uh, was it uh, David Stone, Caden Turham, and I think um, the Michael Patterson McDonald, is that his name? Kid from Westmore. Mm-hmm. I mean, throwing up the 405. Like, I mean, I know like David Stone obviously doesn't, he's at IMG and Caden Durham's at Duncanville, but I mean, both, th- those are both still local guys. Like Caden Durham grew up in Moore too. So like all that stuff, like that is, that is super cool. And especially, um, you know, everything that you hear about, like, the 2025 class uh, and beyond of, like, how talented of, like, it may, basically is what it's seeming like is that OU, not OU, Oklahoma hasn't had this much high school talent in a while. Like, it, it's it's just, it's going to be very important and it's going to be very interesting to see how, you know, it has been kind of slim pickings over the years of, hey, this guy can go play at OU, but he's gone to Ohio State or he's gone to Alabama or you know whatever, whatever, for whatever reason they don't go to OU. I'm interested to see if this coaching staff can actually start, you know, landing some of these guys, especially that are that are you know high power five like OU level players. I'm I'm interested to see that going forward. Yeah, at some point, the staff, Todd Bates and Brent Venables especially, need to be um, not just player or coaches that players love and respect after meeting them and hanging out with them for a few days, but they need to be play- coaches that these players sign their name on the dotted line to play for. Um, they, they they had a great recruiting class last year. Just going to keep that up and I'll start leaning more on the defensive line. Uh, I think we'd all be very happy. But speaking of Brent Venables, um, he made some – I guess some some news this week saying like the obvious, which is if we make slight improvements on defense, um, we will have a chance to p- potentially hang a banner. And I mean, they lost again. This is coming from someone who I, I'm trying really hard not to bring up that they lost five games by six total points at the last second. It's like now they still lost, you know, and and it's not just that they lose these games by one point or three points in the final possession it's well what led to that during the game and when you watch west virginia when you watch texas tech you watch those second halves we slowly watched what we knew what was coming like it was inevitable that OU was going to lose the game the way it was going so it's not just oh suddenly a game they had control over went the other way at the end so i mean there's nuance to all this but i mean just from a very basic standpoint of yeah, if we're not awful on defense, we probably get a few more stops, which probably equates to us winning, even with the offense being kind of inconsistent last year. So just general improvements across the board when he just talks about defense, I just kind of interpret that as across the board. 
Um, and there are some players that are no longer on this roster that if you look at some fancy schmancy calculator numbers from Bill Conley, oh, hmm, Justin Broyles and David Aguebu were targeted a lot on third and longs. Well, they're not here anymore. So um, maybe that will be addition by subtraction. But I mean, guys, any any thoughts? Maybe I'll, I'll kind of open the floor to whoever wants to jump in. Um, any thoughts on kind of the faux controversy of Brent Venables' uh, comments over the week? Yeah, this was just totally just, I mean, sports writer 101, let's just churn up some content here and kind of get some movement going uh, on, you know, on Twitter. I, I don't think it's... Um, it's without, it, I don't think it's beyond the pale whatsoever for Brent Venables to say, if the defense improves, we will we will win 10 games and play for a banner. <laughs> you know, what that banner means, you know, is it the Big 12 championship? Is it, you know, the I don't know, Toyota uh, Tacoma Bowl, uh, Mayo Bowl? I mean, who knows what I mean? You're going to get a chance there. When people say to play for championships, we're, we're so twisted into the you know obviously the media aspirations when we say oh we're here we play for championships you're thinking oh you're, you're going to win the overall thing it's like no i mean the big 12 has a championship there are bowl championships you know people make rings for all kinds of things <laughs> you know college football has just a myriad of championships a myriad of banners that you can hang that said at the university of oklahoma there is a standard that needs to be made you know brent venables has said hey we're defending the standard the entire time the standard oklahoma is winning 10 plus games <laughs> and if, if you're not doing that consistently uh the door's usually very soon i mean we can sit there and raise our hands about late stage bob stoops or midterm bob stoops or whatever he was still winning 10 plus games mainly <laughs> you know, he's still getting the job done versus the standard of what oklahoma is now if you want to say the if you think that the standard of oklahoma is competing and winning national championships there's only been seven of those buddy <laughs> It's like a hundred plus years of college football, so that's not necessarily a true standard beyond you know uh, reasonable doubt, in my personal opinion. Uh, but winning ten plus a year, that has to happen, especially if this season coming up. Uh, and if you just look at if you just look under the hood just a little bit, it should be there. I mean, uh, that person you know went on and down about how the offense was bad and everything, and you know Brady before we started recording went on and on about Bill Conley. Uh, but Bill, Bill, Bill Conley still had OU's offense as the number 10th in the nation. <laughs> I mean, I, we're, we're pounding our head against how inconsistent this offense is, and it's still within the top 10, you know, predictively, you know, at that point in time. Um, the defense was the issue, the defense being like in the 80s or something. Currently for 2023, Bill Conley has some, you know, a preseason ranking of 36th. If OU trots out the number 10 offense and number 36 defense, they're winning 10 games in the Big 12, <laughs> unless Brent's just not the guy. And then if he's not the guy, then we figure out who the next guy is and go from there. I don't think it was that big of a deal. Um, and I don't think Brent was – maybe the bigger point, and Alan, I'll just like segue it over to you. Do you think the Brent saying this stuff negatively impacts him? Should he be trying to soften this blow? Should he be trying to run away from these expectations at Oklahoma? Well – I kind of look at these this differently in the sense that like, I always find it weird when a coach says, Oh, we should win 10 games because I, I don't know how, I mean, I don't know why, what the point of saying a cap on anything is, you know what I mean? Like, like, I mean, you just, it, that part of it was strange to me that, that he just throw, throw any number out there. I mean, but you know, I mean, if, if he's under the impression that, you know, not winning 10, not 10 games, maybe, maybe nine games this year. If, if he's in the impression that that's okay, 
then or or he's trying to like you know get OU fans if that was you know if that was something that he that that crossed his mind you know when he before you know when he's making these kinds of statements i mean he'd be in a completely wrong job like that he knows he understands the expectation and frankly if he doesn't win you know nine ten games this year i'm gonna have serious questions about his you know ability to uh to lead the program going forward um but you know, immediately everybody is like, oh, well, I, I mean, a lot of this, look, a lot of the, I think a lot of the rider reaction to this was mainly a response to the um, vociferousness of Oklahoma fans <laughs> in the social media space last spring. Um, I think that there was kind of this, this idea, in my opinion, that um, without, with all that happened, that that OU fans expectations have gotten seriously out of whack. And I mean, I, I don't see that as being the case at all. If you look at the investment that, that fans make the, and the school makes in the program, you look at the history. I mean, the idea that OU fans needed to stop expecting that or, or striving for that to me is just, I mean, that's the, the striving is why OU is great. In, historically speaking, you know, as a program. So, I mean, all that stuff. And my last point on this is Las Vegas across the board this year has set OU's over under win total at nine and a half. So, I mean, the idea that, you know, and, and, you know, people might say, oh, well, they were at nine and a half last year. Some were, there were some eight and a halfs out there. <laughs> I knew a lot of shark gamblers who pounded OU under eight and a half. So keep that in mind. Uh, you know, again, I really don't think that that this is uh, you know anything any big deal. I just I just don't get it. You know that's a really good point. Brent's a coward for saying ten games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't think about it from that perspective of why even just put any limit. Just say we're going to win a lot of ball games. Like I mean, Bob Stoops was great at that. We're going to we win wanna, a lot of yeah, ball games. We want to be we want to we want to be the best team that we can possibly be. We want to perform up to the highest standard. That kind of that type of thing. You know, Alan, that that thing you mentioned earlier about kind of this is a response to how chatty OU fans were on social media. I mean, we all know one of the reasons why. Um, I will say it's kind of bullshit on it. Media members is like part where if they're going to sit there with their chest puffed up and see COU fans told you you weren't as good as you thought. Okay, if you think that, if you want to be correct, then not only did you predict that OU wouldn't be as good as OU fans thought they were going to be, but you also should have predicted that TCU would have had the best season in their program's history. Um, You would have predicted that Kansas State um, would win the conference and have their best season since uh, Colin Klein played quarterback. Um, You would have predicted that Texas was actually kind of okay for half the year until they kind of fell off and realized they weren't as deep on the uh, interior of the O-line, D-line as they had anticipated. You would have predicted all these things. But no, you just said in a vacuum that OU is not going to be good and presented no evidence other than they lost Lincoln Riley. Like, well, what, yeah. what, what is that? Like, it, it To me, it's just no, I don't think OU fans were wrong in predicting that they would be fine. And I also don't think that people would be wrong in predicting that OU wouldn't be fine. It's just what's your reasoning? If it's just wish casting that because you hate OU or because you're a blind OU fan, that's where you can get kind of silly. But nobody expected the Big 12 to be as good as they were last year. 
And OU, as bad as they were at times, and as much as I hate to say this, they were in most of these games outside of two of them. Yeah, well, and I think personally that there's just this, from a media standpoint, there's this strange fixation or fascination with Lincoln Riley. There really is. And I I can't, I guess I can't explain in the sense that he's kind of, you know, he's a young up and com- he was a young up and comer, made his name. And there was just this idea that persisted that, you know, if he doesn't think that OU is going to go in anywhere, then that's really got to tell us something or, you know, or he was all OU and now they're, now they're fucked. And it's like, I don't think, I mean, I, I think part personally seeing more and more after what we saw last season, I mean, I think Lincoln Riley got out while the coast was, you know, while, while the getting was good, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, I think, I think he knew where that, where that was heading and that was, that was on him. I've, I've always kind of assumed from a media standpoint, they love coaches like Lincoln Riley. And when I say coaches like Lincoln, I mean like offensive minded who, if you really plug yourself into X's and O's, you can watch their teams play. You can watch these plays be set up. You can watch these Mm -hmm. plays be played out on the field and it makes you feel a little bit more connected to the game. It makes you, and it especially makes you seem more informed if you like, oh, here comes the leak play and the leak play happens, they score a touchdown. It's like, okay, I'm making a connection with this play caller. Whereas like coaches like Bob Stoops that are more defensive minded, like they're just, they'll either tell you something or they won't. And then you just have to watch their teams either be better than their opponent or have a bad day and not be better than their opponent. So I think it's always been kind of something like that, like these whiz kid, hot shot OCs that become head coaches media members jump on them so much because they want to ask them X's and O's questions. The X's and O's guy will be like, Oh, I'm getting an X's and O's question. And then they'll have a rapport. And then that sets up this cult of personality that I think you've seen. And that's just from my perspective, I've been in the media before. Sure. But I'm mainly a fan when I'm talking on through the keyhole. So, I mean, maybe I'm crazy and wrong, but, um, you know, it is what it is, but I am going to push back on that just slightly. I mean, the, the you know there, there's a one-to-one comparison that's currently coaching uh, at another big time blue book school and there's a, a certain section of the media group that's ready to say he's if he can't beat michigan <laughs> you gotta ride him out the door for ryan day it's a certain point in time like if you're getting that big i mean there's heat on that on that on him as well and he's basically the exact same guy to a certain degree as lincoln riley i think the point that you made was half the first half of your point the young whiz kid that's the point that connected with Lincoln Riley, him doing this all at what, like, what was he like 36, 37 or something. And that's the point where everyone freaked out. It's the MIT, like the dude's counting cards and there's a crypto bro to him. Like what says, what does he see that we're not seeing? Like he's a, what are they called? Like a chaos type of guy who's like breaking the, breaking the industry. He's picking, you know, it's a you know, San Fieldman Banks. Rain man. You're talking, you're talking about <laughs> rain man, right? I think that's the part of Lincoln Riley that very early on was there. Now Lincoln is more established, obviously. Of this is who he is, and people can now point things out. I mean, last year, basically, I won't say everyone, but I mean, obviously our bubble was saying like, oh yeah, he's going to lose to Utah. Duh. <laughs> Utah's yeah. a, a very tough, disciplined team that's just going to beat him up. Uh, the book's kind of out on him to a certain degree. The thing is he's moved to a, a moved to a school that's completely unserious about about football uh to a certain degree uh but then now they're moving to a conference in the big 10 that's just going to 
mean, honestly, if you're going to say one to the other, at USC to the Big Ten to me is worse than OU to the SEC. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. Just just for distance alone, I mean, culture. The Big Ten, the Big Ten, yeah. in my opinion, just like completely sold uh, USC and USA as just a, a fake bag of goods because this is going to be great for Michigan and Ohio State <laughs> to be in LA every single year. <laughs> yeah, uh, from that perspective. Yeah. No doubt. It's going to be, um, I mean, the way that they finesse the SoCal schools is really funny. Um, we had one more talking point. I, let's table that for a future show because I think as we get deeper into the offseason, it'll be a little bit more um, tasty because it's always some, it's always been something that's been there and it will continue to be there. Um, it concerns Jeff Levy. There is, there are, there's nothing that I'm teasing or reporting. It's just we're going to talk about Jeff Levy uh, on a future episode but i did want to end with uh because we have talked about softball before and because our first episode after jordy ball announced her transfer or her intentions to transfer at the time um away from ou back home to the state of nebraska our first episode was the sec schedule reaction we haven't really had a chance to talk about it um but she has since announced her intentions to transfer to the university of nebraska very shocking i know to everybody that listens to this um, but I kind of wrote about it on the Monday post in terms of Jordy, like Jordy Ball's transfer is up there with a lot of big names that have transferred from OU in terms of football um, and not necessarily all big names, but certainly guys that had they had stayed, it would have positively more than likely influenced OU moving forward during their time there um, could have bridged some seasons where they were in between um, awesome rosters. Um, but I just want to get kind of your, your guys' thoughts on all this and especially some of the fan discourse that's been following uh, Jordy Ball transferring from OU. Um, I mean, when I heard the rumor um, beforehand, it was shocking. I'm like, why is this going on? And it, yeah, it, it, it did not fail. It, like it happened. And so you're kind of left there wondering like, why? And then I really start to think like, why does this happen with Oklahoma all the time? Why does it seem like we can't have the apex player at the top of their sport for more than two years? I mean, and even players that stay at OU, like Adrian Peterson, the best player in college football from the time he stepped on the campus to the time he left. And even his career, half of it was marred by injury. We didn't get to see AD play all get all the games he played his freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Um, Caleb Williams, we know. Marcus Dupree, we know. Um, Troy Aikman, there's a reason for that. But still, Troy Aikman became. He did not become that here at OU. So, I mean, guys, just your initial thoughts about um, Jordy Ball transferring from OU and then, of course, to our old friends at Nebraska. Matt, I'll let you jump on since you're on the uh, flagship. Yeah, man. It was um, very shocking. I mean, I think I found out when – when you guys did too, I just very shocking because at the surface level, right. You just see, Hey, she's, she's two for two in her college career on national titles, right? It's like, she's two for two. And it with Jada Coleman, Tiara Jennings, like all of them returning. It, it looked like it's very good shot for three for three. So on the surface, you're like, what the hell? Like, why would anyone, kind of leave that situation she's kind of got everything that you need I mean she's a great pitcher and she has the best the nation's best defense behind her too so like but I will say I watched I watched an interview that she did with the Papillion news station up there uh in in Nebraska and to be honest man everything she said was 
everything that she had said in that tweet, but you could see it kind of in her face, right? It's different reading it off of a notes app rather than like her actually speaking it out loud and you get to watch kind of the way she's delivering it and all this stuff. And um, man, it really, it really just seemed like, because she even said, she was like, I, I really didn't even want to leave the state of Nebraska coming out of high school, but like, I, I just couldn't pass up an opportunity to play at Oklahoma because they're, they're the pinnacle. They're the peak of, of softball. So she was like, I just really could not turn that down. Um, and then she said that she was homesick her first year, but she was like, every freshman is homesick. So I didn't think anything of it and then came back the sophomore year and that feeling, I guess, just really, really never went away for her. Um, and in fact, it even got worse. So listen, I'm, uh, I'm not gonna come down on anybody uh, ever for making a, a decision they feel is best for themselves and best for their mental health. Like I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to ever come down on anybody uh, as long as they're not hurting anyone else or, uh, you know, physically harming themselves, then yeah, I'm not going to do whatever you do or do whatever you need to do at the end of the day to be happy. Right. I think uh, that's kind of what we all want. So for her, like if that makes her happy, good for her. She won two national titles here at OU. She's, I mean, she's a legend at OU. Dude, she's one of the best softball players uh, to ever lace them up for OU uh, amongst uh, the titans of the sport that have played. She's up there with them. So uh, shout out to her and uh, hopefully, hopefully she gets her mental health right. Yeah. I'll, I'll mention it from just a, a player aspect. Um, you know, I, I remember reading multiple articles and listening to podcasts about like Olympic athletes and stuff like that. Like once they win the gold medal or something, there's always kind of a, an emptiness of, all this work for that, <laughs> you know, and, and the moment's over and everything of that nature. She's been to the top of the mountain twice now, back to back. She's done it. There, there must be some level of, I truly only have two more years to play this game and, and at, at a level in which will draw me, you know, big time, you know, you under the lights and all that type of stuff. Cause you know, the pro softball leagues after that, I mean, I, I get that a lot of people are pretending we, we really hang on every pitch of the Oklahoma City Oklahoma City Spark, uh, but it's just not the same level of playing at these things, uh, going to the World College. So, I mean, if she's now said, hey, I fulfilled myself athletically from that perspective, now I want to play and have fun and play to my best potential without having this, you know, uh, what's Damascus sword, I think that's right, uh, you know, over my head to, to a certain thing. Sure. You know, you've allowed yourself now to kind of go that way. You, I believe you mean the sword of Damocles. But that's the sword of Damocles. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Um, I, I'm very good at halfway remembering all these references. Uh, uh, that's to me, that's for sure. Go out there, pitch your heart out, have fun, go swing a bat, you know, at that point in time, like, uh, like Matt was saying, just on, on that perspective, you know, the one player who's like basically the poster child for uh you know psychopathic insane competitive drive won three tiles and then went away and then only came back after he was a complete embarrassment playing baseball you know michael jordan i mean they had the proval point you know it's not no there's almost nobody i mean maybe kobe bryant at some point in time but like all the decisions he made to you know hamstring his own teams and stuff to prove his his own self versus the team you know very few people are wired just to say my only existence is to win softball games. And she, she won as many as she wanted to and won two championships. So, hey, go out to pasture to a certain degree. Go out to the corn, uh, you know, 
hopefully people will go out and watch you out there. I will interject real quick. You can hang on to every pitch uh, for the OKC Spark. Uh, 107.7, the franchise, uh, they play that's the Oklahoma City Sparks <laughs> uh, flagship station. So uh, disregard what Peyton said. You can hang on to every pitch uh, at 107.7, the franchise. Yeah, good. So now not only will Hal Smith kill us all, now Mr. Tyler Media himself. <laughs> Mr. Tyler Media, <laughs> yes. He's listening. Mr. Tyler <laughs> yeah. Media is listening. So, Yeah. Um, uh, Alan, anything, anything on uh, Jordy Ball's transfer? No, I mean, you know, I think that everybody really kind of covered everything here. You know, bringing up Jordan was actually interesting to go to me because to me, this is almost more like when he came back to go to the Wizards, right? I mean, trying to kind of spark a franchise or a program, what have you. I mean, like there's something to be said about that. Like the idea that, you know, she could go to Nebraska, for example, and elevate that program. Like maybe she, maybe that's the kind of thing that she finds rewarding too. I mean, you know, people do people do stuff because for for whatever different reason, more power to her. She did great at OU. Uh, you know, that's that's about it, really. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me be the bad guy then. Um, shout out to Jordy Ball. She did her thing. Um, I hope. I'm I'm typically cynical when it comes to sports. Um, having covered Russell Westbrook I, for a few years, I guess that'll it'll do that to you, but. I understand. I understand. Homesick, wanting to go home, be with her family, boyfriend plays for Nebraska, baseball. Like, I, I get all that. Um, what I will not tolerate is I, I don't want anyone telling fans how they should act when a, an awesome player l- decides to not play for their team anymore. Um, there are going to be fans and people that get ugly and do things that are pretty unforgivable. Um I don't think anyone here is ever going to do something like that. So I can speak for keyhole. Like that's not what we're about, but there are fans like that. And you just have to kind of resign yourself to the fact that that's going to happen, unfortunately, and just do your best to ignore them. But as it, as it stands with like fans who are passionate, but, but have a head on their shoulders and have a brain. Look, I just, I cannot help, but feel like the transfer portal it's a thing. It's, it's something that every school has to um, kind of get used to. Um, it's not just negatively hurting OU by itself. It's, I, I get that. There are other schools that have lost players as well. Something needs to be done. Like, I don't know if it's the, you, you have to sit out a year rule that happened because I mean, losing players like this over and over again, could be detrimental for just fandom because what relationship do you have with players who don't want relationships with you in the first place um, as players? Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's just, it's just odd to me. It, um, you know, you can't, I couldn't help but think like when I hear that, like I, I couldn't help but pass up an opportunity to play for OU. Now I got my opportunity. I did everything that I wanted to do. Now I, I'm going to go off. It's like, okay, so did you just use the school that I went to and root for? Okay, that's cool. I guess I'll cheer for you. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to cheer for that. It's like, thank you. See you later is basically how I kind of look at it. Like I, if OU plays Nebraska in a regional or super regional or the World Series next year, I'm not going to be like, good job, Jordy Ball. Yay, I'm so happy for you. I hope we kick the ever-loving shit out of them. And, you know, it's just... Just the way it goes. So maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm 
uh, right, but like, person. there's a difference. There's a difference though between being like "fuck you" on your way out, you know, versus <laughs> like, you know, I, I mean, I agree, you know, that there, it, all of this has definitely, you know, exposed the idea that we're just rooting for laundry. I mean, it's always been the, oh yeah, you know, yeah. you know, but you know, I mean, I guess if I'm Jordy Ball, I'd say, well, do these fans really care about me farther than they could throw me? You know what I mean? Like if 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 I wasn't a great athlete, what would they, what would they care? You know, I mean, do they, do they care about me as a person? Do they care about me like doing great things for their, for their school? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's just one of those things. And, but I'm with you. I mean, OU fans are certainly under no obligation to uh, root Jordy ball on for the rest of her career or anything like that. That's why you're a fan. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think for the, for the most part, what I and it, again, it's social media. I think for the most part, OU fans were very I thought like, so. complimentary yeah. and congratulatory and like all that. So they, they, they handled it uh, well. I do think it helps that like, obviously with Jordy ball, OU softball is like unbeatable yeah. uh, without her. They're still pretty damn unbeatable. So I think yeah. that made it, that, that made it a little bit easier to cope with. You're like, ah, oh, we lost Jordy ball. She's really damn good. But, that lineup is still sick. Like, you know, right. that lineup is still going to yeah. score so many runs. If there was ever going to be a let up after, you know, winning three in a row and all that pressure, now they might be pissed off because, you know, there's going to be a lot of media people exactly. out there like, I don't know, losing Jordy Ball. And then, oh, he's just going to be sitting there like, oh, okay, all right. And a lot of teams, <laughs> a lot of teams are going to be pissed off whenever, uh, Oh, we got our ace coming back. Oh no, our ace is going to yeah. you. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? Yeah. Something tells me this was going to turn, turn two different ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be a no, no. Our t- our player is leaving. We need to rejustify the transfer yeah, no, next yeah, week. Yeah, We're yeah, getting yeah. another one. Come on down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the transfer portal's great because it allows Jordy Ball to go home. Oh no, oh no. Our first team all, all American pitcher is now at OU. Shit. <laughs> oh well. Well, gentlemen, good show. Good show all around. Everyone gets high five from me. Um, uh, thank you for letting me host it. It's been a while and I was looking forward to this one. So uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed listening to it out there in podcast land, wherever you're listening. Um, continue to like and subscribe everything. Um, Patreon, of course, you can find that at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. We've got a dollar tier. Uh, if you just want to read, we've got a $4 tier for reading and podcasts. And then we'll get our $5 tier for all that plus Peyton's X's and O's um, because he is very, very smart when it comes to the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and Joe's. So uh, we are excited for Keyhole moving forward. We'll have a lot of fun stuff to talk about um, in the depths of June and the depths of July still. So we're looking forward to having some fun. Uh, but for Alan Kenny, Peyton Guthrie, Matthew Burton, um, I guess I have to say it this time though, right, Peyton? Is that the rule? Okay. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to Through the Keyhole. Brady Trantham here. Boomer. Sir. Sure.